Good morning. Great to see you all this morning. Um, you probably saw on Facebook and Twitter last night, there was a lot of talk about the big fights last night. And uh, I know some of you are probably like, yeah, we had the big fight at our house last night. It was called bedtime. Uh, we'll be having it tonight as well and probably tomorrow night. Because if you're here this morning and you're a, a family with younger children, um, it's the big fight every night, isn't it? It's like uh, it's bedtime and we think that this is the right time to go to bed. But apparently our nine-year-olds and 12-year-olds and 15 year olds or whatever they may be, but think, no, 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 it's still light out. This is not the time to be under bed. And, um, and you knew that we were telling this series called Losing Your Marbles. You're like, you know what? This fits me. I'm a parent of kids and I feel like I am losing my marbles. But the actual reality of the fact is that this particular series, it is talking about kids and the difference that we can make in their lives. But the marbles analogy is a little different. So in case you're visiting here for the very first time or it's been a couple of weeks since you've been here, let me just uh, catch you up here on the idea behind our series. So I have here in this jar 936 marbles. I very carefully counted out every one and deposited them into this jar to make sure that I'm not a liar up here, okay? So 936 marbles are in this jar. And the reason I've got 936 marbles in this jar, 935 right now, because one's in my hand, is that um, they represent 936 weeks. So every marble represents one week. And those 936 weeks, they're quite significant because 936 weeks is how many weeks we have from the time a child is born to the time that child will graduate and move out and go on to college. That's 18 years. 936 weeks. And we've been talking in this series about the fact that um, for this morning, you may have a child of your own. Maybe it's a grandchild that you have influence in. Uh, maybe you're a coach here this morning or a teacher, an uncle or an aunt. But every one of us has some kind of influence or some kind of impact in the life of a child. But we've been talking about the fact that this, this jar empties every week. Every week, another marble leaves that jar. So your jar may look, for the significant child in your life, may look a bit different. Maybe it's still way full. Maybe yours is not yet to come. Maybe you're anticipating that day where one day you'll start counting the marbles. Maybe it's half empty. Maybe you've got situations in your home right now where there's an empty jar that represents a child that has already grown up and moved on to the next stage of their life. So we're doing this series that connects to talk about the idea that um, we, can, we can play a role in the lives of these kids. We can make this time count. We can make sure that as these marbles, because they're going to go no matter what, we're doing something about that in the process. So, so the first week we were looking at the words time. We were thinking about the fact that time is passing. And we have to make a decision to be um, influential in that time. We have to make that time count. It's, it's, it's pushing aside the business of our lives and, and investing time into the life of um, our children or our grandchildren or the, the kids in our life. And then Josh, a couple of weeks ago, he was talking about words. And if you would have been here that particular week, you'd have heard him tell this story of, of, of how words can have such an impact in the life of a child. They can empower a child and encourage a child and, and give a child something to believe in. But they can also, the wrong words can tear a child down, do harm or damage to a child. The, the words that we have, the words that we speak are powerful. 
And then last week, we had a, a really unique service. We, we kind of put, pushed the pause button on the, the Losing Your Marble series, but we stayed focused on the, the um, aspect of children. And we celebrated uh, what we call Compassion Sunday. Compassion International is an organization that exists, and they, they make a huge difference around the world in the lives of children that are born into poverty. And it was so thrilling. If you weren't here, we, uh, we announced that we were able to send a check off last week, the week before last, to, uh, to Compassion in Ecuador and complete this project of, of building a church and a child development center in a city called Esmeraldas, Ecuador. It was so thrilling because they're going to start breaking ground on that. And last week, I happened to be at a convention. And while I was down there, I met with a guy who just got back from a trip to Ecuador with compassion. And I was telling him about the offering. And I was telling him about the fact that we'd raised the money. We'd sent it. And he said, where's it going? I said, it's going to a city called Esmeralda. He goes, I've just got back from a trip there. I've just been in that region. He said, Dave, there is extreme poverty in that region. There are kids that desperately need help in that area. He said it's a really, that the country as a whole struggles with poverty. But that particular area up in the northwest corner of, of Ecuador, there's a real need there. He said, I'm so thrilled that your church has got on board and has helped to build this church and reach those kids in that area. You know, I've, I'm in talks right now with Compassion, the organization. I'd love to be able to, to have a trip in 2016 that we take as a church, that we could open up to people that want to come and see and, and take pictures and hear stories and bring back and, and tell what's going on in that city and in that, in that community, thanks to those of you who gave. And then it was brilliant because at the end of the service, the, I think over 30 people signed up to say, we want to sponsor a child somewhere in Ecuador. Some of you said, we want to sponsor a child right now. Others said, um, in December, when the children from that particular area become available to sponsor, we want to sponsor one of those children. $38 a month will help connect you with a child in that area. And if you weren't here, and this sounds like something you'd be interested in doing as a family, we've got the packets out again today back at the Connect Point table. So you can go and check those out after the service. And then the last thing we did was we announced last week that we want to do this again. We want to help um, plant another church in that area. And in order to do so, we're going to have to raise another $20,000, this time by the end of 2015. So I said, you know, throughout the year, I want to challenge you to, to come up with creative ways that maybe you can raise money as a family or as an individual that you could set aside to go towards that church plant. But let's start this off, and, and last week we took up an offering, and just in one offering, we got over $2,600 from, from you last Sunday, and that was awesome. I want to say thank you so much to all of you for doing that. That was so brilliant, and if you missed that last week and you still want to be a part of that kind of initial offering that kind of got the ball rolling, you still can. There's a way to do that. That um, picture should be up there on the screen. You can actually just text the word CONNECT to 77977. It's that easy. Uh, when you do that, it'll respond and it'll tell you how to fill in uh, your info with your, your debit card or your credit card, and you can choose an amount, and, and you can, that's the only time we'll do that. They don't keep all your info, so uh, you can make a gift online, and we want to make it as easy as possible if you want to help with that particular fund, so that's the, the details there. But we're going to continue on this morning in this Losing Your Marbles series. We're going to continue looking at the idea of time. So, so originally we talked about the idea of time over time. And then Josh spoke about the idea of words over time. And this week I'm going to introduce a new word to you. But before I do, I want to tell you a story. A story that I remember reading in the news um, just a little over a year ago and was dumbfounded when I read it. 
The headline of this particular story was, Michigan woman's auto payments hid her death for over five years. Michigan woman's auto payments hid her death for over five years. It turns out that this lady had set up for her mortgage to be paid automatically out of her bank accounts. So every month her mortgage was being paid. Nobody realized, nobody batted an eyelid in this small town of Pontiac, Michigan. Life went on as normal. The woman traveled a lot, neighbors said, so they really didn't notice anything unusual about the lack of activity at her home. There was a neighbor who liked to help out, so he was cutting her grass on a regular basis to keep it looking tidy. But at some point, the money ran out. At some point, the bank account went dry, and the mortgage payments stopped being made. The bills stopped being paid, and finally the bank foreclosed on the house. And still, nobody noticed what had happened inside the house. Nobody wondered out loud what had become of the owner. It wasn't until a worker was sent by the bank to the house. It was in a foreclosed state, and there was a a hole that appeared in the roof, and he went to check on this hole, and at that point, he discovered this woman's mummified body. It was sitting in her car. Authorities say in the garage, authorities say that they believe the woman had died at least five years prior to the discovery. Five years ago. Now, fortunately, stories like this are very rare. But when I read a story like that, when I read this last year in the news, I found myself thinking how unbelievable it was that this could happen. I was asking, how could no one have missed this woman? She was in her 40s. It's not like she was an elderly person, you know, who maybe all her relatives have passed away. How could no one have noticed she was gone? Why weren't there any relational circles in this woman's life where her presence left a hole? Why wasn't there any place where she belonged and she was missed? You know, this week as we continue on in our series, I want to look at this word. I want these words to be memorable words that you can think through when we talk about impacting the life of kids. And this week I want to talk about tribes. Tribes are a place that we can find where we belong. And I believe that impacting the life of children can sometimes be the the tribes that those kids are, are investing in over time. Tribes over time. So what do I mean by tribes? What do I mean? Why why choose that particular word? Well, I believe that tribes have always been a part of God's plan. From the very beginning, his declaration in the Garden of Eden when he said, it's not good for man to be alone. He then set apart this this nation called Israel, and they they were known as the tribe of Israel. That's what identified this group of people. You know, he even broke them up into 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. So throughout the whole Old Testament, you hear about these, this group of people, this nation of Israel, and these 12 tribes of Israel. And then Jesus comes in the New Testament, and, and we, as we celebrate in communion this morning, he died and he rose again, and, and he left behind the apostles, the disciples, to build um, a new tribe, a tribe that we know today as the church. And you can read and discover how the church began in the New Testament and and this new tribe developed because God never wanted us to go through life alone. That's never been God's intention. That's the saddest part of that story of that lady is that she was living life alone. No one noticed when she was gone. 
God's plan has always been for us to experience belonging with himself and with each other. It really is one of the deepest of human needs. And how much more than during our childhood? When you think of the the children in your life that you love, is there anything you'd want more than for them to have a deep-rooted, secure, meaningful sense of belonging? Because if you're a parent here this morning, you're constantly looking for tribes where your kids can belong, aren't you? Of course, they have that, that place in your tribe, the family, and that's a great place to be. But we also feel that need to want to find other tribes so that they know that they belong, so they know they're connected. So what do we do? We sign them up for sports teams. We spend hundreds of dollars each year on Nerf guns and iTunes gift cards to make sure they can go to every party that they're invited to. We endure dance recitals and orchestra performances and whole days of wrestling meets in sweaty, hot gyms or two hours in the cold seats of a stadium stand to finally witness the 14 seconds of the 100-meter run. (laughs) Because we want to find a tribe for our kids to be a part of. We want our kids to experience the belonging of a tribe because deep down, we know that that belonging makes or breaks a meaningful, fulfilling life. And how do we know that? Because we remember, don't we? We remember what it felt like when we were their age. That, that pressure, that, that desire to want to connect, to, to find a tribe that we can fit into. Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember the pressure of that? In case you don't remember, maybe this video clip will jog your memory. Are you coming along? Mama said not to be taking rides from strangers. This is a busted school. I'm Forrest, Forrest Gump. I'm Dorothy Harris. Well, now we ain't strangers anymore. It's funny what a young man recollects, because I don't remember being born. I, I don't recall what I got for my first Christmas. I don't know when I went on my first outdoor picnic, but I do remember the first time I heard the sweetest voice in the wide world. You can sit here if you want. I had never seen anything so beautiful in my life. She was like an angel. We're gonna sit down, aren't you? What's wrong with your legs? I'm nothing at all, thank you. My legs are just fine and dandy. I just sat next to her on that bus and had a conversation all the way to school. My back is crooked like a question mark. These are gonna make me a Next to Mama, no one ever talked to me or asked me questions. Are you stupid or something? Mama says stupid is as stupid does. I'm Jenny. I'm Forrest, Forrest Gump. 
From that day on, we was always together. Jenny and me was like peas and carrots. As a kid in your life, you just want to make sure that there are some peas to go with their carrots, don't you? <laughs> you want to make sure that there's somewhere that there's connection. And I think when we watch that movie clip, that's what we think. is like, man, that pressure of thinking, what if they don't connect? What if they feel like they don't belong? You see, outside of a family, there is one tribe, I believe, that's critical to a child's life. This is a tribe that isn't dependent on how well they can hit a baseball, whether they're good at math or not what the label says inside their genes. This is a tribe that's based on grace. I like to think of um, the heart of Connect Church, that we're known as a community of grace, a tribe of grace. And that all of us here have a part to play in making sure that kids find a sense of belonging here at Connect Church. Think about how the, the tribe of, of the church that we're in this morning, Connect, is different than any other tribe. Just, just take a look around you for a second. Just think about it. If you've been coming here consistently for a while, and especially if, if you're kind of connected through a serving opportunity or a Connect group, chances are you now feel that this has become your place of belonging. This has become your tribe of grace, somewhere where you feel like you belong, it's become a tribe where you feel accepted and connected. But think about this. As you look around at the people in this room, has it ever occurred to you how completely odd it is that we've become a tribe? I mean, one of the things I'm always struck by when it comes to the community of church is that usually it's made up of people who would never belong together in any other circle. Seriously, think about it. Let's do, a, let's do a little experiment here this morning, shall we? Are there any of you here this morning, and you can acknowledge yourselves if you're here, are there any of you who just love to balance your checkbook? Any people here who love to, yeah, look, there's a few hands got up. <laughs> but there was a lot that didn't. I know who you are. You're the guys who just kind of check the balance every morning, or you, you swipe the debit card with your fingers crossed, like hopefully this goes through. And you're sitting there thinking, there are people who balance their checkbook. What's up with that? How about this? I think there are some of you here this morning who, when I say, Chewy, we're home, you get way too excited. Anyone here wants to admit, yeah, there's a, see, already, look, there's a few here. Just those three words, Chewy, we're home. And you're like, yeah. And there are others who are like, I don't even like Star Trek. And... Uh, <laughs> There are some of you here this morning who love cats. There are some of you this morning that don't get that. Some of you who prefer dogs. There are some people this morning here who like country. And there are some who like music. And there's, there's different people. You know, we're, we're all... <laughs> Another little jab. Because the truth is that in here this morning, we have people who like sports, poetry, gardening, fixing things, breaking things, Chevys, camping, Pinterest, spin class, spending money, saving money, playing Candy Crush, reading a book, chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, skim, non-fat, sugar-free, beaches, motorbikes, and on, and on, and on. And the list doesn't stop, does it? Because for as many people as there are in the room, there's as many different interests and, and, and things that we like. And yet we all meet here together on a Sunday morning and feel a sense of connectedness, a sense of belonging. How does that happen? Why is that? 
I think it's because no matter how different we all are, I'll tell you what we have in common. It's grace. We're part of a tribe of grace. A guy by the name of Reggie Joyner, he's a leader of a ministry to families and kids. In fact, the ministry that he's in charge of is the, is the program that we use here, the curriculum that we use at Connect for all of our kids' work. And I just returned this week from a conference that he organizes every year around this time. There were 7,000 people there from churches all over the country and all over the world. And they gathered there to learn more about investing in the lives of children and teens. It was such a, a challenging and inspiring time to be there, both as a pastor and as a dad. To be reminded during this conference how quickly this jar will empty and how great of a responsibility we have to make a difference in the life of a child. And Reggie Joyner talks about this, this tribe of grace that we're in. Listen to what he says. You can read along on the screen there. It says, our sense of belonging is rooted in the concept of grace. Grace means you don't belong because you deserve to belong. You belong because God has accepted and forgiven you. You are known by God in a way that you are not known by anyone. Every thought, every desire, every action, and yet he has welcomed you into his tribe forever. You're a part of that tribe here this morning. And here in this community of grace, we belong not because of anything we've earned or anything we've become, but simply because we are loved by God. That's why I think it's important for us to introduce children and teenagers to the grace of God when they're young. It may be the greatest thing that we can do for their sense of belonging. So how do we do that? How do we do that with that significant child in our life, whether it's our own kids or whether it's our nephews or our nieces, kids we teach, kids we coach? How do we introduce them to that, that tribe of grace, that sense of belonging? You know, the writer of a book in the New Testament called Hebrews gives us the answer. He's actually challenging the early church, and, and I'm actually kind of inspired to think that this was a problem that even when the early church was facing, because he's challenging us on it as well. He says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Listen to this. Not giving up meeting together, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, as I said, I kind of find it a little comforting to hear that even the early church struggled with a similar thing that the church in America struggles with today. There was a, a famous theologian whose name was N.T. Wright, and uh, he said this in regards to this verse. He was talking about that phrase there where it says, let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. He said, the danger of people thinking they could be Christians all by themselves was, it seems, present in the early church just as it is today. Now, let me just unpack that a little bit because I don't want you to hear me saying this morning that you can only be a Christian if you go to church. I don't believe that. I believe your um, following of Jesus is a decision that you make in your heart. It's asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life. It's surrendering your life. It's asking him to forgive you for the wrong things that you've done and saying, God, I want to start over. I want to live my life and I want to follow you. That's what I believe it means to be a follower of Christ, a Christian. 
But if you do that and that alone, and you're not part of a church, you're not part of a community like this, I, this is a great illustration I always think of. It's a bit like, you know, maybe some of you have already got your grills out, and I'm a charcoal grill guy. I like to um, get the charcoal there and light it, and, and I'll go out and check. And, and inevitably, you know, even though I've been doing this for years now, when I go back out, after a while, some of the charcoal is just burning great. And then there's those few odd bits here and there that just, they, they never really caught light. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll, I'll use my tongs, and I'll grab a few of those charcoal bricks, and I'll throw them in. And do you know what? Within minutes, they're burning away. But when they were off by themselves, they weren't. And I think that's a great analogy of the church. You know, I'm not saying you can't be a Christian if you're not a part of a church. But man, when you get connected, when you're attached to all those other charcoal bricks, it's like you, you're sharing the fire and we're growing together as a community. We're experiencing what I believe God's plan was for this tribe we call the church. And yet even the early church faced this similar temptation. Maybe it was a beautiful Eastern morning and it was just too tempting to roll over and hit the snooze button and just sleep in a little bit longer back in those New Testament times. Maybe they just had a really busy week, just more busy than usual down at the market, and they just needed a day off. They were like, let's just have today off. You know, based on the persecution of the church that we read about later in Hebrews, it may have been more likely that they were actually afraid. They were afraid of the insults and the suffering that they would face by showing up at church. But whatever the reason, the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, don't be tempted to neglect the time of meeting together. You see, the church was very young, and already this was becoming a problem. You can read about the birth of the church in a book called Acts. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they tell the story of Jesus. They're all uh, writing the life and the story of Jesus. And then Acts, the very next book, kind of takes off, continues on after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So it's the beginning of the church. It's the apostles, the disciples, where they go following the death of Jesus and how they help to build this church. They're now filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're preaching, they're performing miracles, and they're seeing thousands of people become followers of Jesus. In one of the earliest descriptions of what the church that we are a part of today looked like, you can read in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they were continually, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which we did this morning, and to prayer continually devoting themselves. That was the precedent set at the beginning. That's what the, the writer of the Hebrews was reminding them not to, not to neglect, not to give up on. And I think it's just as much of a challenge for us today to say, you know, it would be tempting to, to um, you know, kind of pick and choose when we're going to be at church and not really commit and say, I'm going, to be a I'm, going to be, I'm going to commit to the church. And here's why, because I think it's important for us as adults, but I think it's so much more important for the kids in our lives. I think that commitment, that regular attendance at church is so much more important for the kids in their lives. And here's why. Have you ever seen a sign that says wet cement? Have you ever been out and about and there's, you know, there's a freshly poured cement, you see that sign that says wet cement? Do you know what that sign means? Here's what it means. It means touch this. Let's see if it's really still wet. Let's see if I can put my handprint in this. Let's see if I can put my initials in this and come back for years to come and tell my kids, look at that act of vandalism your dad did. That was me did that. That's what wet cement's like, isn't it? 
It's, it's, it, when it's still wet, you can make some kind of impression in it before it hardens. Do you know, kids are like wet cement. This is the greatest age to make an impression, isn't it? While that cement is still wet and it's still pliable. Because let's be honest, if, if we wait till they're teenagers, now, now you need a hammer and chisel, don't you, to make any kind of impression. It's like, da, 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 you know, just to get through, you're like banging away. And if you wait until they're adults and they're old like me, it's like a stick of dynamite to make any kind of impression. Even then, it's just a small scratch. But as kids, they're still like wet cement. And those kids get to, to hear the impression in this tribe, in this tribe, the church, of how much God loves them. That's why it's so important to introduce the child in your life to tribes over time to the church, the tribe of the church over time. And you know what? As they work their way through the nursery, through the preschool here, through our K through 5 program, on into youth group, just like that video that introduced the message this morning where you saw the marble being handed from one hand to another. So, so in this particular tribe, your, your child, the child in your life will get to see great leaders handing your, your kids on as they move from age range to age range. And investing in their lives. Through each age group here at Connect, they'll meet wonderful, wonderful leaders. Leaders who are serving out there now. Leaders who are sitting in here this morning right now and will be serving in the next service. Leaders who don't do this out of duty or guilt. But leaders like the 7,000 people I sat with in an arena in Georgia last week. Who feel called by God to make the difference. To make a difference in the life of a child. I want to tell you about one of those leaders this morning. We have a young lady who, uh, who helps out in Connect Kids. Her name is Bailey Bambrick. You can see a picture of her mum there with, with Alicia. Bailey's to the left there. She's a high schooler. Bailey's a high schooler and she leads a small group on Sunday mornings for the kindergartners and first graders. Now, it would be easy to assume this morning that uh, if you didn't know this, uh, the first picture of Bailey and her mom, her mom Alicia, is in charge of all the kids. So no wonder Bailey serves. She has to, right? I mean, her mom won't let her not serve. But the reality is that's not true. In fact, it couldn't be further from the truth. Bailey loves to serve. Do you know what? I found out that she, she loves so much the group she's with that, that back in the fall of last year when we switched from one service to two services... We were making some, some changes with the groups in Connect Kids, and some new leaders were coming in, so we were moving some things around. And Alicia suggested to Bailey, you know, I think I'm going to move you out of your group and put you in a different group. She said Bailey was devastated. Bailey said, I don't want to leave my group. I love my group. I look forward to seeing those kids every week. And, and Alicia had to kind of move some things around and create some new things so that Bailey could stay with her group. When I was talking to her, Alicia said, listen, I'm going to send you a picture. When I told Alicia what I'd be speaking about this morning, she said, I'm going to send you a picture. You need to see this picture. This is the mirror in Bailey's bedroom. Those pink post-it notes are the names of the kids in her group. And they're there to remind her to pray every day for the children in her group. That means if you're here this morning and you have a child who's in kindergarten or first grade, this young lady, this teenager in high school is praying every day for your child, praying God's best for their life, praying over them, saying, God, let them grow up to know you. Let them grow up because she knows that they're like wet cement. 
that they're still impressionable, that God can move in their lives. And, and she's just one of dozens and dozens of amazing leaders that we have throughout that area that are making an impression on our kids. It's a great tribe to be a part of. And I've got to tell you, as I was preparing this message, the pastor in me loves Bailey. Loves that she's just one of many volunteers who, who loves kids and loves teens so much that she wants to pour into their lives. But you know what? The dad in me is also so grateful. So grateful that there's another voice in the life of my children. Thanks to this tribe, there's another voice, another leader who they can turn to. Someone that they can maybe ask a question of or share a fear or failure with. That they may feel uncomfortable sharing with me. And you know what? I struggle with that sometimes because I'm their dad. Come on, you can tell me anything, but let's be honest. Do you remember how excited you were to tell your mom and dad stuff? You know, sometimes it's difficult for kids to talk to their parents. So I love, as a dad this morning, I love the fact that there are leaders there who care for my kids and who, when they ask those questions, will give the same answers that I would give. It may not be me giving my son or my daughter that, that advice or that counsel, but I know there's someone out there who will. You know, it's scary to read the statistics and see the evidence, um, even amongst their own family and friends, of, of how many kids who, who grow up in church and, and then as they move into their young adult years, they, they turn their back on God. Some of them are kind of exploring different things and, and they're going different directions. But I discovered this week as I was working on this message that research shows that one of the consistent markers of those who still have a strong personal ownership in their faith is that they had a person from their tribe, other than their parents, who helps them wrestle through the implications, the questions, the challenges of being a follower of Jesus. And let's be honest here this morning, it's not just the research, is it, that confirms that. Most anyone you talk to who has a strong, vibrant faith in that, in that, as an adult can often identify at least one person who took an interest in them to help take ownership of their faith. I can remember as a teenager, as a young person, some, some college kids, some high schoolers who, who spoke to me about their faith in Christ, who took time to share with me how much God loved me, and I can still picture their faces today. It made a huge difference in my life. Someone who, like that verse in Hebrews said, um, is, is spurring them on, is encouraging them. So listen, let me conclude with these thoughts this morning. The two greatest tribes the kids in your life can be a part of, I believe, are family and the church. Those are two great tribes they can be a part of. That's why you'll hear us here at Connects teach a lot on marriage and family, because we want to equip you to provide the best environment possible Whatever your family currently looks like, we want to help you create the best environment possible for the kids in your life to feel like they belong in that family. And as a church, as Connect Church, we will never stop working on creating that community of grace for the child in your life to come along to and to know that they are accepted and loved and that they belong. Because the truth is here, if they don't find a way to belong there, They'll find a place elsewhere to belong. So my challenge to all of you this morning is to follow the advice of the writer of the Hebrews and let's not give up on meeting together for the sake of the child in our lives. 
Let's strive to make church a priority in our lives for the kid in our lives who we want to grow and to learn about the great plan that God has for their lives. But can I finish this morning with one last thought? In fact, I actually believe that God prompted me to do this this week. As I was preparing my message, this wasn't in my original idea, but I really felt like God kind of laid this on my heart, wanted me to share this with you, particularly because he knows there are some people here this morning that this will be very applicable to. You see, I said a second ago that if they don't find a way to belong, there'll be another place that they will find to belong. And when I said that, I think some of you here this morning, your heart sank just a little. Because right now, there's a child in your life. It could be your own child. It could be a nephew or a niece or a grandchild. But you know that they grew up knowing about God and knowing about church, but they're at a phase in their life right now. They're at a point right now where they've moved away from this tribe, the tribe of the church, and they're now part of another tribe. It's a tribe that's influencing him or her in a negative way. In fact, it's even causing, I believe, disruption and heartbreak in your tribe, the family. So I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for the parents of the prodigal the grandparents and the uncles and the aunts and the neighbors and the friends and the teachers and the coaches who see that young person and the path they're on and it's breaking your heart this morning. And I want to do something unique here this morning that we very rarely do at Connect, but I'll tell you why I want to do it in a second. In a second, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and I'm going to pray for you. But if you're here this morning and there's a child in your life, a young person, a teenager in your life who right now they're part of a, a, a tribe that's kind of moving them away from God, it's breaking your heart. When we go to pray a second and we close our eyes, I'm going to ask you just to slip up your hand. And here's why I'm going to do that, because two reasons. Number one, I want to know who you are. I want to pray specifically for you, pray with you this morning. But number two, I want God to see this morning. I want you to be saying, God, this is where I'm at. I'm, I'm worried about where my son, where my daughter, where my grandchild is right now. And I want them to be back in the tribe that they once knew. Like the story of the prodigal son, I want them to come home to the Father. So we're going to do that right now. We're going to, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes if you would. I'll pray. But I want to pray specifically for you this morning if that applies to you. So is there anyone here this morning just by raising your hand would say, yeah, right now there's a, a child, there's a young person, thank you. Anyone else who would say, yeah, thank you. All right, God, I want to pray right now, Lord. Several hands went up all around the room, and I want to pray for those families, for those individuals who right now, they're very aware of um, a child or a teenager in their life that has moved away from the, the tribe of church and is making some choices that maybe they're concerned about. And God, I want to pray because I am the prodigal son. Lord, I went through a time in my teenage years where my parents who loved you dearly watched with broken hearts as I made some really poor decisions. And I, I went far from you, Lord. But God, thank you so much that you are the God who forgives. You are the God who looks for the prodigal son coming back, Lord. Because I remember the time where I, I surrendered. I, I bent the knee and said, God, I need you back in my life. And you didn't come with scolding. You didn't come with judgment, Lord. Like the story says, you ran and you wrapped me in your arms or welcomed me back. And I pray for the sons and the daughters and the nephews and the nieces and every child represented by every hand that went up. I pray for them in Jesus' name that you would draw them back to you. Draw them back to the tribe we call the church and draw them back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.